this place pretty close by. You know, it's like a 20 minute drive, so that was inconvenient already. And just a bunch of much older people, like people that have been sober like 30 years. Um, so it was all a little overwhelming. I didn't know what to do. It's kind of like going to Catholic church for the first time. You're like, why the hell? Why are we standing up? Why are we sitting down now? Why are we saying this? You know, it's just like, I didn't know what was going on. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every wicked moment of my life helping other people do the same. And if you want to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol or you are somebody who doesn't drink alcohol and you're thinking, what's next? How do I fill this white space? How do I build the most incredible intimate communion with the person I share my bed with? How can I be a conscious parent? How can I create a conscious company? Then please email me at the strive method at gmail.com. Okay. And uh, get to know a little bit more about strive, the home, the place, the community, the method where we help you live a conscious life after alcohol. And if you want to learn more about that method, the quickest and easiest way to do that is www.thestrivemethod.com, where you can buy our book, okay, which will help you stop drinking for 30 days and give you a real good insight into the philosophy uh, and the preachings and the teachings of the Strive Method, okay? Um, Yeah, that's about it, really. I'm going to introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Molly Desch. Uh, Molly has a degree in psychology. She's a certified coach and has uh, many years of experience of dealing with alcohol, okay? And she works, helps working moms who are struggling with the drinking culture uh, to activate and materialize their inherent abilities to free themselves from alcohol so they can take back control of their lives, rediscover their authentic self with renewed energy, confidence, and pride in themselves, and rebuild relationships with loved ones. So in this conversation, you'll hear me and Molly Desch Uh, Chew the fat on everything and anything, alcohol and sobriety. And you can um, also learn how Molly runs her community, what her program's all about. And uh, yeah, if you are a uh, working mom uh, who's really struggling with alcohol, then make sure you check her out at www.asyouarelifecoaching.com. Okay. All right. Without further ado, I'll shut the hell up. Leave you in the capable hands of Molly Desch. Molly Dash, so what part of the world are you coming from then? I am in the U.S. I am in the very middle of the U.S. in a place called Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri. I've never been to Kansas City, but the Wizard of Oz, man. Yeah. Do you know, when I was young, my first theatrical, my theatrical debut was playing Toto in... uh, a school production of The Wizard of Oz. I didn't have a lot to say, but, you know, I was brave enough to get into a dog costume and get on stage. I was going to say, there's no speaking part, really. No, they made one up for me. I did say a few things, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, let's start there, right? The Wizard of Oz. I mean, you know, it's all about finding courage. It's all about finding, what is it? Your brain, your intellect, your heart. I mean... That's kind of yeah. like, but it's like the journey of sobriety, right? 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, once you get over that hump of being sober, that's what it's all about. Mm. This is what I wanted to talk to you about, particularly interested in, actually, is you went, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but you you went a year um, without drinking. It's like, yeah, nailed this. It's kind of like, got this. It's got this sucker. This is kind of easy. <clears throat> and then in the second year, there was uh, three relapses, I think. There was three instances or times where um, something happened and you went, for the bottle. And that became the catalyst to creating your current foundational program, almost like to help people to fill in those missing pieces. Uh, what I want to learn today and and the and, and to give to the audience, what was missing between year one and year two? I'm, I'm fascinated in that. So I'm just going to let you go for it. And I'm just going to sit here with my cup of tea and my feet up and listen to you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, you're right. First year, I thought I had nailed it. Um, so I started <clears throat> off going to AA um, because I didn't know what the hell else there was to do. Um, my mom, she flew in to stay with me um, because I was kind of a big baby and wanted somebody to babysit me during those first few days. Um, so God bless her for that. Um, and I went to AA and I found this place pretty close by. Um, you know, it's like a 20 minute drive. So that was inconvenient already. Um, and just a bunch of much older people, like people that have been sober, like 30 years. Um, so it was all a little overwhelming. Um, I didn't know what to do. It's kind of like going to Catholic church for the first time. You're like, why the hell is, why are we standing up? Why are we sitting down now? Why are we saying this? You know, it's just like, I didn't know what was going on. And so I'm trying to like learn the lingo and figure out what's going on. And, you know, it just, it just never really did it for me. I was only there for about two or three months. Um, I remember getting my first chip felt pretty cool, but you know, I don't even know where that thing is anymore. So, um, yeah, I was on that pink cloud. They call it this pink cloud after you get sober and you feel like you've got it. Um, and then once I left there, uh, COVID hit. <clears throat> and I remember, um, at least locally, I don't know what it was like there, but right away, everybody was encouraged to stay home. Like, do not leave your house. Do not go anywhere. And so it it was kind of easy for me. You know, I didn't need to go to the liquor store. I wasn't like encouraged to go to happy hour or anything like that. So it just felt pretty easy. Um, I was reading a lot of books, um, you know, Laura McCowan's book helped me. There's like so many amazing books out there, dry Augustine Burroughs, like all those. And I was reading all those, you know, going to the drive through at the library, picking up, you know, my books that were previously sanitized during COVID. Um, so that's kind of what got me through it. And, um, and then the second year, so things started opening back up um, that next fall. And um, so people started coming around more. There was, you know, family get-togethers and things like that. Um, I was in a relatively new relationship as well. Like the first six months, I was like, no dating, not doing that. Like, just going to focus on me. Um. And being in a relationship when you're newly sober is interesting because um, 
Like I felt for my previous marriage, the coping mechanism was to drink when he pissed me off. So now um, any sort of emotional turmoil, I didn't know what to do um, because my go-to was gone. Um, so there was, there was one instance that was relationship related. Um, he was traveling and, um, we did the kind of, it wasn't zoom, but there was some app on our phone. I don't have an iPhone, so it wasn't, um, FaceTime, but he was at his hotel and I could see in the background, like a 12 pack of beer. And I was just like, it just like tripped me, you know? Mm. And I was like, fuck it. If he can drink, then I can drink. So that was like my first time. Mm. And I was at home. Um, I didn't really have, my kids were gone. So I didn't have anybody supervising. Not that my kids supervised me, but you know what I mean? Like that accountability yeah. partner. Um, so that was the first time. Um, and then, you know, throughout the year, like we had some family things and it was always this super awkward um, like nobody knew if they could drink around me, you know, do we, are we drinking at this barbecue or are we not, you know? So that was always weird. And it was just like this anxiety because nobody wanted to talk about it. Um, and obviously looking back now, just being the adult and saying, look, I'm sober. It doesn't bother me if you drink or on the other hand, no, I don't want alcohol in my house, you know? So that kind of triggered me. It was by my 40th birthday and it was a surprise party I was not aware of. And I show up at my house and my guests are all drinking. And it was just like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was like an exciting time. And then mm. as soon as I saw the cans of beer, I was, just, I was kind of floored and I just stood there. I didn't know what to do. Um, there were, it was definitely an awkward, hi, thanks for coming kind of thing. Um, and so a month after that, I had, uh, I quit my job at, I'd been working for this company for like 10 years. It was this huge tech company and, um, they were going through a lot of transition and I just, I just wanted something better. So I, I was quitting my job and one of my friends wanted to do a happy hour for me. Um, so the week before that, it was, there was a lot of anxiety kind of thinking like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I re really even want to go, but you know, Molly, it's, it's your happy hour. It's your going away thing. You should probably show up. And, you know, um, at that week too, the guy that I was dating was on another business trip. So again, the no supervision thing going on. So that was the third time that I drank. Um, I mean, I remember walking into the bar and it was a bar that um, I had been to a ton of times. It was really close to the office. So like the people that worked there had kind of taken it over essentially and called it their own. So the familiarity was there, the smell, the people. I mean, the whole atmosphere was, was very linked to alcohol. And I knew as soon as I walked in, it was over. Um, and that was the last time I drank. Um, that was 
I mean, it was over a year ago, but looking back, I realized that, you know, I just didn't have any skills. I didn't have what, you know, we refer to as our toolbox. You know, when these situations come up, you know, what do we commit to? What kind of boundaries are we setting for ourselves? What kind of techniques do we have that, you know, like breathing techniques or, you know, mantras that you say or affirmations, you like all that good stuff, um, feeling better about yourself. You know, like you said, with the Wizard of Oz, you know, your, your heart, your courage and your bravery, you know, I didn't have any of that. I had just gone from quitting drinking to just kind of existing for like two Mm. years, you know, and I didn't work on myself. I didn't ask the hard questions. I didn't have any, um, like new hobbies or interests really. Um, so I really was just kind of left to my own devices when, you know, things started opening back up after COVID. And, um, after that third time, you know, that was like the lesson I learned, um, you know, you, if you want to do this and you're really going to do this for yourself, then, you know, you need to figure out who you are, who are you, what do you like? You know, I spent the majority of my adulthood intoxicated. So I have no idea, like, what are your interests? What kind of people do you like to hang out with? You know, do you have a certain fashion sense that you want to bring out, you know, whatever. Mm. So that's what I discovered. And that's what I'm still discovering. You know, I feel like we're always growing and we're always finding out new things that we like. Like just the other day I bought, I went and bought a cello because I'm like, shit, I want to play the cello. I think it's like the sexiest thing ever. And it would be so cool to be able to play the cello. So just like constantly evolving and growing and, you know, learning about ourselves. And Mm. that's, that's where I am today. Just under the impression that, you know, this is a lifelong thing and it's not a one and done thing. Um, it will, it will, I don't know how, what you refer to it as, but you know, it's, it's always going to be around. It's always going to be somewhere back there in the back of your mind. Every once in a while, it'll, it'll pop its little ugly head up and, and say <laughs> something to you. So it's like, how strong are you going to be to combat that? Yeah. I hear you. I mean, the the one of the one of the words that comes up for me as I'm listening to you sharing, and thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Was um, self awareness or a lack of self awareness, right? And then now it seems like you're developing more self awareness. You're you're learning and understanding, and maybe pausing and stopping. I mean, we can talk about that. You know, it's like I I I heard a, and spoke to a lot of people during COVID who. I'd stopped drinking and some of them had self-awareness. So they were aware that potentially this was a fool's errand. Like, like I am locked in my house, nobody's around me. And I know when I leave, it's going to be a problem because my problem is not drinking. My problem is not drinking around people who are drinking. Right. So we had really self-aware people. And then we had people who were not self-aware at the time who were just like, yeah, I think I think I've nailed this. Right. And then they go out and then it's like, oh shit, why, why am I finding it difficult to say, I don't want to drink to somebody, you know, like, and and I'll give you an example and you can, you can share about how 
you could give advice on this actually um and then i might chip in as well so we've uh one of our newest uh uh, members of Strive, actually, he's not had a drink now for three months, but he just posted in our community that he recently went to a wedding. It was like a three-day event. <laughs> Who has a three-day event wedding, right? And he said throughout the three days, um, people were continually offering him and asking him to drink. And he was getting the vibe that people were looking at him a bit weird, like, what's the matter with this guy, right? Which, you know, let's let's just put that where it is right now. That's a perception. It's not reality. We don't know that's reality, right? Um, and he said he felt pretty uncomfortable. And, um, you know, he, he asked the question, like, how would you deal with that? You know what I mean? Um, so that sounds like that was one of your pitfalls. So how, how did you deal with it? And what kind of advice would you be able to give to this guy in that spot, do you think? Yeah, no, that's an amazing question. Um, I mean, I, I actually went to a wedding. It was my brother's wedding uh, about a month ago. Mm. And it is awkward. Um, so I walk up to the bar and I'm wanting to order a drink. And so I, I, I wanted a Coke. So I asked for a Coke and they give me this weird look like, well, what else? What else do you want in it? I said, no, that's it. Just, just a Coke. Mm. So I get that. There's everybody else is drinking and it's, it's more of their insecurity about their drinking. Um, I was at an event yesterday and kind of promoting my business and my banner clearly says that, you know, I'm a sober coach and I'm helping you live a life being alcohol free. And the number of people that felt like they had to come up to my booth and tell me that they don't have a drinking problem. <laughs> like I didn't ask, you know, it's so for him, it's, it's not about you. It's about them. It's their insecurity. Like that you not drinking and choosing not to drink just pulls that out of them naturally. So they feel like they have to explain themselves or, Oh, I, I don't really drink that much or yeah, I haven't drank in probably a week or whatever. You know, people just volunteer this information to you to kind of excuse their behavior or make them make them feel like, you know, what they're doing isn't wrong or it's it's abnormal. Like I, I hardly ever drink, you know, don't worry. It's this is just a one-time thing. And I also wanna wanna mention that. <clears throat> While I was in COVID and while things were opening back up, like I was going out and doing things and I was vocal about, um, you know, I don't drink, I'm not going to drink. Um, I mean, the guy that I was dating, um, he was in a, a cornhole league. So every week on Wednesday night, we would go to this bar. It was an outdoor bar and, you know, everybody's drinking except for me. And it was like, it was fine for me. I felt, I felt confident. I felt good. Um, I didn't have really anybody ask me. I don't know if he had kind of like preluded, like she doesn't drink to let people know or whatever, but there's just, I think it's just a certain crowd, you know, they are probably the drinkers. I don't know. I don't want to make any assumptions about, you know, who's saying what, but you know, there's there's going to be social situations where people just feel awkward because you're not drinking and that's on them. That's it has nothing to do with you. Mm. I mean, I, I'll add to that that uh, 
whilst it's true that it's not about you, it's about them, I think what it happened in this situation and what I see consistently happening is we do make it about us, right? So, so, you know, we go into a bar and, you know, people, I come to realize that it's it's absolutely normal and expected for somebody to tell me that they don't have a problem and to justify their drinking when they speak to me because of the job that I do. I don't expect anything different because they are taking a drug. There's a part of them that knows that. And when I tell them that I've stopped and the reasons why, because I'm very upfront about it, like I'm like this fucked up my marriage, right? When you're talking like that, where are they going to (laughs) go? Where are they going to go? Right? So they, the justification is going to come out that that is their part protecting them, right? Like is, is protecting them in that moment to say, Okay, yeah, I don't really have that. I don't I don't really have that problem. Um, so if we can just like you know accept that that's going to happen, then the biggest challenge is don't make it about you. If it's about them, don't make it about you. And I'm going to ask you a question on that. But before I do, I just want to give you an example of what my life is like. Right. So last Wednesday or Thursday, I went to the pub to watch a football with my mate. And my mate and my mate said, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. I said, do you want me to get you a drink? And he said, yeah, get me a pale ale. And I said, what one? Anyone. So I went up to the bar and I said, I'll have a cup of tea. I said, do you do tea? She's like, yeah. And this is how I was speaking. Do you do tea? Yeah. I'll have a cup of tea. I'll have a soda water. And my mate wants an ale, pale ale, but I don't drink. She goes, well, there's all these. I said, all right, give me the cheapest one then. And she she had to look for it, and she gave me a cheap. Now I delivered it with I delivered it with so much confidence, like I don't give a shit that that I don't that that the comeback it doesn't permeate my boundary. It doesn't go there. So you know, I'll ask you like how I'm saying to this guy, we need to get some more confidence and some more pride around the fact that we're sober. Um, but what have you found? Uh, in addition to that, if anything, um, or you want to accentuate what I've just said when in terms of you dealing with it, you know, and and how you teach people to deal with it, because it's there in their face every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, you and I, I mean, you've been sober. How long have you been sober? How many years? Ten, like 10 years, over 10 years. I don't know. I get old. Yeah. I get older every year, but I always end up saying <laughs> 10 years, <laughs> a long time. <laughs> 10 years forever. I mean, you gain that confidence naturally. Like the first week or two that you were sober, I mean, you probably wouldn't have said that. Uh, I, I, I did. I, I, I was like that. Really? Because, yeah. Because, because I'm cocky. <laughs> right. Like I'm cocky. So, you know, for me, it was, look at me, I'm different to you. Like there was some dysfunctional, unhealthy pride in it. Like I can beat this, look at me. Like I I wanted to gloat about it. I mean, it's one reason why I ended up having a podcast, right? It's because I like the sound of my own voice. So my own dysfunction actually helped me <laughs> to remain sober. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, not everybody is like that. Um, not everybody is confident, yeah, um, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it takes some, takes some confidence some practice. I mean, 
hearing yourself say it, trying to figure out what you're going to say. I mean, you can get so absorbed in it. Like, what am I going to say if they, you know, they ask why I'm not drinking or, you know, you can get so wrapped up in that, but yeah, just keep it short and don't make it about yourself because it gets a little ugly once you start making it about yourself. Right. When you're like, start telling the story about why you got sober, don't you think? Or you feel kind of soapboxy, like I, I, spouting out all of these technical terms of what it does to your brain and your body. Like everybody fucking already knows that. Yeah. They don't need to I, hear that. I don't, I think for me, for me, it has a lot to do with energy, right? So as someone who was bullied and was a bully, I know that there's an energy around it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an animalistic sniffing of the weakness. So if you go into that bar and you're worried and you're unprepared and you're not quite sure what you're going to do, then these fuckers will be all over you like a rash. Because as we said earlier on, there's this protective mechanism within them that has to keep their drug addiction. Okay. With them. So if they sniff your weakness, then they will use humor and absurdity to ridicule you and make them feel okay, right? So for me, what I'm hearing you say uh, for the people who um, just blabbering off like I do doesn't come naturally to them is practice. It's like, and this is where communities like yours and mine are really good because you can practice that shit. It's like. I don't know what yeah. to say. All right, let's get on Zoom right now. And we'll fucking nail it. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll give you all the most difficult comebacks I can. And let's see if we can have you in, in a trail of tears. Right. And yeah, because everybody has within them the ability to do most things. That's, that's my, what I feel, you know? That's oh, I, I agree. Feel. I agree. Mm. And yeah, I, I, I actually encourage being really open because we can then be beacons and inspirations and that is not everybody's cup of tea. Right. Like true. It, it, it isn't, but I, I, I myself have found it tremendously healing. Um, like if I turn around and say, I've never had anybody when I say oh, it, 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 it ended up destroying my marriage. People generally get interested in that. And, and it's not surprising for them to say, actually, my relationship is impacted by alcohol. I get that more than I don't have a problem with alcohol. And it is because yeah. I'm leading from that place of vulnerability, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. Um, and all the clients that I work with, it's because of me telling my story and they're able mm. to relate to that and open yeah. up. And they're like, yeah, I'm exactly like you. Like I went through the same things you did. It's, you know, when we hide behind, whatever it could be the insecurity or the uncertainty, you know, practice, practice telling your story or practice with your friends, call Lee. He's cool. And he'll, he'll help you. Well, what I found is when you're really open and you just shoot from the hip and you're authentic and, you know, doing it in a healthy way, <laughs> you create, you just quickly realize that everybody's just as fucked up as you are. Right. Like there's no escape in it. I mean, it just, just, it's everywhere. Like it, Everybody, I like every single 7.8 billion people on this planet have some dysfunction, have some fear, some shame, some humiliation, some story, 
sexual or around money or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it was Alan de Boitin that said, if the, if the world of psychotherapy was able to just tell all the stories about their patients, everybody would feel a lot better because they just realize that, oh, actually, I'm not that special. True. Yeah. It's true. Being mm. vulnerable and opening up to people is what actually makes us closer, mm. not this fake persona that you tout around town or post on social media or whatever. Like nobody's life is perfect like that. Mm. And I feel mm, like that's sure. what puts up the walls. We compare ourselves to other people. Well, they seem to really have their shit together and you have no idea what happens behind closed doors. Mm. Mm. So if you were to have a 41st or 42nd, what is it, 42nd birthday party? It'll be 42. 42. If you have a 42nd birthday party and all these people are going to be doing a surprise party for you, how is it going to be different? What have, what have you learned in that, um, that, that, that two years that, that uh, allows this situation to be different and keeps any sort of drinking at bay? The difference is my comfortability in myself and being able to be around it. Um, <clears throat> like, I mean, okay. So when you're new to something, let's say beans over, just throwing that out there. Mm. If you're not around people that aren't drinking, you don't really know how to react to it. So again, it goes back to the whole, the more you put yourself in this situation, but I don't want, okay, so I don't want to tell people like, hey, you're newly sober, go to the bar. Like, that's a terrible idea. Mm. Um, but it does, it comes with time. I mean, there's no like pill that you can take that all of a sudden you're just this unstoppable sober person and people taking shots in front of you and asking why you're not drinking and come on, just, just do this. Just have this one drink. You know, it's my birthday. We're going to celebrate. Like none of that is going to stop you. And it takes, it takes time. Um, you know, I tell my clients that I'm working with, like, do you really think you're ready for that? You know, you've been sober 20 days. You think you're ready to go to a Halloween party where everybody's going to be shit based? Like probably not. It's probably not a good idea. You need to protect yourself, protect your vulnerability. And it's too early. Um, the longer you're in sobriety, the easier it gets. So if I walk home on my 42nd birthday and everybody's, well, it's not going to happen because I've set up boundaries now with my family. They know Mm. That they're not, I don't want alcohol in my house. But if it were to happen, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't not know what to say. I wouldn't not know how to behave because I could just be myself. It's, and it's come with time and experience. And I mean, if you know of some technique where you can just whip it up real quick, I mean, please share that. <laughs> the only thing I know of is 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 time and experience. Yeah, confidence I mean, I, in yourself. What was I reading? Yeah, I was reading a book called High Performance last night, and there was a chapter on uh, called uh, "Be a Mad Scientist," 
And in the Stripe method, we have a module on experimentation. Um, what I will say is, and I'm going to be super fucking controversial here right now, but there are, it's very unusual for someone to go through um, this whole experience without relapsing. It's just really unusual. Uh, I went three years and, and a new situation presented itself. You know, like you said, you quit your job. That's massive, right? There's no, there's no mental map for quitting a career, right? Like, unless you've done it like several times. There's no mental map about being in a new relationship and adapting to a new relationship. You know, if you've been in one for a considerable amount of time. Um, so, you know, I I think that we experiment. And each person is individual and different. So somebody needs time. Somebody needs to build a life where that uh, toxicity is not present in their life. They protect it. There is absolutely zero reason to go to the pub. Like I, I go there to watch football with my mate. But when we're not watching football, we go and meet in a coffee shop. Like there's no, I go to the movies with them. They, they, I go to the park for a walk or a restaurant. I don't need to go to the pub. I don't hang out with any of my old mates, right? But you can go into that protective um, sense and that will work for a lot of people. And it's, it makes a lot of sense. And then for some people, they actually need to visualize, feel and experience in their mind what it actually feels like to relapse, to, to, to get used to it. Why? So they can learn within the confines of their own home and safety with a coach or whatever, so they can handle it. Because it's often the fear that I can't handle it, which eventually overwhelms them and, and, and consumes them. So um, I like what I like uh, your, your, your um, course is, um, is foundations. Like alcohol-free foundations, and then you can spring forth from those foundations and play around with it a little bit, depending on what works for you. And you found your way, I found my way, and uh, hundreds of thousands of people listening to this will find their own way by taking little bits. Does that sound logical? Yeah. No, I like what you say about, you know, some people do need to go through the relapse. I mean, there are people that have it and I'm like blown away. Like, I don't know how you did that. And you're seven years sober. Like, that's phenomenal. And it is rare. And, you know, obviously we don't, like you said, it's controversial. You don't want to encourage it. But at the same time, if you come out on the other side, a stronger person and you've learn from that, then all the more better for you. Becoming ambivalent around our alcohol use is confusing, uncomfortable, and downright terrifying. Alcohol is so embedded in our lives that we can't imagine our life without it. And at Strive, we get that. So why not take one step at a time, starting with diving deep into our book, The Strive Method, Control Alcohol for 30 Days Before It Controls You for the Next 30 Years. Head over to www.thestrivemethod.com to purchase and receive a Santa sack full of freebies today. I mean, let me be clear. <laughs> Actually, I, my relapse made me uh, like a million times stronger. Like I think, I think a relapse 
especially when you've gone like long time, like a year, two years, a relapse can break you and send you straight back to the start line or you can uh, on a big, long snake, or you can hit a ladder and go right to the end. Right. So it is beneficial. But what I'm talking about is, you know, when you say, um, so part of being sober for uh, me and you as coaches is we want our, we want our clients to, and our community members to visualize what it feels like to be sober. Right. So, so we want them to step into that, the feeling body of what it feels like to be sober, because that is unusual. Right. And that will really benefit you. So when you start to have a craving or nihilistic thoughts, learning to feel what it's like to be healthy, energetic, et cetera, et cetera. But, But I'm also saying we should also practice what it feels like to be in the pit of despair almost like ex- expanding our own window to- window of tolerance generally under supervision with a with a coach on on how much pain and suffering mentally we can handle like experience think what it will it be like if i relapse how will i feel what is the self-loathing what is the hatred what is the embarrassment and the humility let's feel it and and see what it's like and then you'll be like holy shit i i just felt it and there might be tears, there might be anger, but guess what? They're still fucking here on planet Earth, still breathing, still the same. They're looking at this. They can handle it. That that's that's what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? That's the controversial part because people would say, "Yeah, but if I do that, Lee, I'm going to be triggered and I'm going to drink and I'm going to blame you for it." <laughs> that's that's the controversial part, right? Yeah, I've never I've never done that. That's an interesting theory. Mm. Yeah. I like it. I like the theory. Because even if the person I mean, comes back, even if the person comes back and says, I drank, thank you very fucking much. Right? Even in that is an amazing growth opportunity, right? Oh, you want to blame me? You want to make me the villain? How is that serving you? Where's that coming from? Yeah. Right? Like, so huge, huge um, potential to do something different and and see what it's like, you know? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So the foundations, um, I mean, it's just like a house. You wouldn't just start building a house on what do they say? Sand. Don't build your house on sand. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we work through getting over the, the sobriety, um, because it's super scary at first. They're fucking terrified. What what am I gonna do? What is my life gonna look like? I don't know if I can do this, blah, blah, blah. But once they get over that, then we're like, okay, so let's revisit your goals. Let's revisit this vision that you have of yourself. Like mm. what fills your cup? What what makes you want to get out of bed every day? And we work towards those goals while building their own personal skills and strategies. Like I don't have a a list of, okay, this week we're going to learn how to meditate and next week we're going to learn how to tap or whatever. Mm. You know, I let them pick and choose what works for them. Um, I'm, I'm real big into astrology. So all my clients get um, a natal reading and we use that to base their foundations on because everybody is different and unique. And so one person 
could have, you know, a really strong transit this week. And you know what? Let's let's go for this. Let's go for this big goal this week. You know, the, the stars are aligned for you, baby. Let's let's mm-hmm. beef it up this week or whatever. There's this eclipse happening next week. You know, like how does that impact people? Because I mean, I feel it. I don't know about you. Not everybody believes in that shit. And that's totally cool. But um it's we utilize stuff like that. I mean, kind of like off the chart stuff that um impacts them so greatly um one of my clients she was just freaking blown away when we were using the full moon so she was actually born on a full moon so the full moon power is just out of this world for her um so just just stuff like that you know whatever they're into how weird however weird it is you know, those are the tools. These are the habits that we're going to build. You know, I love... Have you read Atomic Habits by James Clear? Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that book. Huge fan of him. So we worked through a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah. The foundations, it's, it's so important. And once you have that, then, you know, you stop. You just like all of a sudden you just like stop thinking about drinking and now you can really focus on who you are. And, you know, after you drink for a couple decades, you don't know who you are. And so now we can, um, I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier today and I actually wrote it down. I was like, I'm so stealing that you're like, recognize who you are. You know, it's like, we tell people love who you are, but get to recognize who you are. And I think that was, I don't know why it resounded with me so much, but we are the same people from the time we're born till now. We just do different things. So getting back to, oh, that's who you are. That's where you went. You know, I'm glad to have you back now. So let's let's do this thing called life. Mm. It sounds like you provide and cultivate and nurture hope within your band and that that's that is like super important because you know with stuff like astrology for example when somebody grabs onto something like that and they have a serendipitous moment it can be life-changing for them you know like i don't know where i stand on the law of attraction and all that kind of stuff and you know i don't i'm like totally confused on it but when it works for me I feel like an uplift. I feel like like somebody's greater than humanity has noticed me and that I matter. And and I think when alcohol is eaten away, it's your core essence for so long. Um, it can be so confronting to then recognize who you are and for you to be there then as their beacon of hope in terms of your story and then to help nurture them along and give them hope. Super important. Super important. I like the beacon of hope shining out the light onto the Harbor and letting people find their own way instead of saying, this is what we're going to do right now. And this is where you're going to go. Letting them find their own way. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you about that actually, because it sounds like that comes more naturally to you than me. You know, like I, I'm I can I can slip into my unhealthy, unhealthy masculinity, right? So easily and be like, you kidding me? 
We're like, why aren't you doing the assignments? Why aren't you doing the work? Why aren't you doing what we're saying? There's no, you know, I can get into that, right? Like I really can. Like your my community will tell you that uh, you know, Anna, I'll pick on Anna from Tulsa, Oklahoma. But Lee, you saw me in tears sometime. I'd be like, why is this guy ragging my ass? What is he doing to me? And she hasn't drank in like a gazillion years, right? And she's loving life, right? And that is something that I struggle with is when to, how to support somebody in the right way, right? And so, you know, to share your knowledge and your understanding and what what come is coming across to me is a beautiful uh, powerful femininity, right? Like how, how do you use that to not crack the whip when somebody's not doing what they're supposed to, but actually give them time and patience and almost let them make their mistakes if they're going to and trust that they have the power within them to learn from that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so kind of going back to the astrology, uh, I mean, I spend the first week before I even meet with my client digging into who they are, their strengths, their weaknesses, what are their innate powers, and really mm-hmm. understanding how I can utilize that to create their program. I mean, it's not my program, it's theirs. Um, so, you know, I kind of just offer little hints and tips here and there, and they they'll latch on to what they like. And then we'll just fucking take off with that. Like, girl, you, you're into crystals. Let's do it. We're going to buy you a whole bunch of crystals and we're going to send you this and we're going to do that. And this is going to be your new superpower. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't know they like that stuff until they open their mind to it. And I mean, it just goes back to everybody's different. And I don't, I don't want to be rigid, but if, you're not doing the work. Like I'm going to tell you, I'm still going to tell you and let you know and hold you accountable. And I'm going to ask you every day, did you do your meditation? You did it. Why not? Mm. You know, you chose that you chose to do meditations. That's what's going to make you grow and keep you sober. So I'll hold you accountable. So I let them pick first and then you can crack the whip all you want because they, they made the choice. And so Mm. It's, it's your job to make sure that they're doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's people, not that you're, do, you're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like for people listening to this thinking, crack the whip. What the fuck are these two talking about? It's, it sounds like masochistic. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I've, I've read a ton, a ton about high performance and spent a lot of time around high performance. And one, one consistent feature that comes out from, all of the literature and all of the books, there's always somebody behind them who is absolutely driving them. Uh, and sometimes in an unhealthy, not kind of like perfect, uh, empathetic, compassionate way, but they, they, they're getting results, right? So, you know, that's what we're talking about, folks, when we're saying cracking the whip is, is you need love, you need empathy, you need support, you need compassion, you need to know that we get you and understand you. And then there are times when it's like, okay, okay, right? We, we, you, you, I need to kick you up the butt here a little bit because if you don't get kicked up the butt, I mean, I guess, I mean, I've never been in AA, but I imagine the sponsor side of AA and someone actually coming around your house and dragging you out your house and into a church basement somewhere. I don't know. I'm I'm of the personality that would appreciate that from a mentor. And I would also appreciate somebody coming around and give me a hug. Yep. 
different people, different flavors of tough love. So relationships, you talked a little bit. Are you are you still in that relationship with the the the, the, the beer guy? The beer yeah. guy. I'm calling the beer guy. The beer guy. <laughs> the beer guy. <laughs> so how did you how did you deal with that? Did you ever set a boundary with him? Did you speak to him about it? Did you did you what how did you deal with him? Interested. Yeah, so we actually met on match.com. And, um, it was one of the first conversations I had with him that, you know, I'm sober. I don't drink. I don't want to be around it right out of the gate. Mm. Um, and it was like, yeah, cool. That's fine. I don't really drink that much anyways. Um, and then, you know, I feel like that was all lies because I mean, he lived with, um, he used to live in this apartment with, uh, this guy that was just like, raging all the time raging alcoholic just drink like blackout drunk like getting arrested kind of thing and so i mean you can't live with somebody like that and not partake a little bit right so Mm. i knew it was happening and i feel like to my own demise i was just i was very naive very vulnerable uh i didn't have much self-confidence um, so I just kind of let it go. Um, but yeah, we had some, we had a confrontation about it one time. I stopped by his house, his apartment. Um, we'd probably only been seeing each other maybe like a month. And it was a Saturday. It was like one in the afternoon. And I walk in and he's just sitting on the couch, just knocking back some beers. And it was, I just kind of like froze, like, uh, this is not comfortable for me and I didn't really know how to react. And so I just fight or flight. So I did the flight thing. I just kind of took off out of there and didn't really know how to do it. But he, uh, I guess he liked, he's was good at hiding it. I don't know. Um, he doesn't, we see each other almost every single day. And so I know he's not drinking. But yeah, I mean, you just got to be vocal about it and call them out on their shit. At least I did. Um, I would stop by a key to his house. And so I'd stop by to maybe pick up his dog or, you know, I did some stuff at his house and I'd see like a 12 pack of beer in his garage. I'm like, bro, what the hell? I thought you said you weren't drinking. Like, this is some bullshit, you know, just call them out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like a a sensitive subject right now for me. Yeah, I feel it. It's not easy. You know, I have somebody in my community who's um at some point in the future is going to be venturing into these uh dating waters again after decades and decades of uh not doing that. Um and there's there's a part of internet dating that I've never participated in, but I love that I could just tick a box and say I don't want anybody who drinks, right? But the question that was raised in, in you know, by this person is, um, do do is that what I want? Like, uh, you know, is it important to me that they don't drink, or is it okay that they do? And it's not; it's really difficult. I mean, I I would err on the side of I would rather that they didn't drink. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, controversially, 
I do believe that you can, I do believe that you can drink from a place of consciousness, even though it's terrible for you and there's no value in it. You can still consciously be in a good space and choose to do it for whatever reason, which is very different to choosing to do it because you're in a mess or you're, you want to use it as a crutch or in a dysfunctional manner. Um, so, you know, my wife drinks, I don't have a problem with it at all. And, um, the only time I would have a problem with it is if I saw that it was being used dysfunctionally. So, yeah, but, but then there's conversations of how it impacts children as well. Right. Like I've got, I have a young daughter, so we have conversations around that and, uh, yeah, it's really difficult. It's not. It's not an easy one. Do Do you get Do you get a lot of people in your groups worrying and talking about it? Because it's a big one in mind when someone stops and their partner doesn't. Yeah, it's almost impossible. I mean, it's not impossible, but for me, because um, me and my ex husband, we were we were both super heavy drinkers, so there was no. Um, very little of, hey, maybe you're probably drinking too much or any of that stuff. Um, if anything, we were both feeding our ch- each other's fire with mm. the, the alcohol. Um, the children, yeah, um, it's trying to repair those br- broken relationships. Um, at least with my kids, I mean, yesterday I was on cloud nine. Both my kids were just. I'm so proud of you, mom. I love you. Like just out of the blue for no reason makes you feel incredible. But I guarantee you back when I was drinking, that was not going through their minds. They were fearful. They were, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if I was going to make dinner that night or if I was going to bring home some random guy off the street, you know, Mm. it's, it's, it's terrible. And you make terrible choices and, um, it is controversial. Like, is there a healthy limit? Like, is it okay? Like they have all these studies, kids that grow up in households where drinking is present do da 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 later on in life. And I don't know. I don't think really anybody has a good hold on what's okay. What's not okay. Don't abuse it. Obviously. Um, I'm, I'm glad that your wife is very, is a conscious drinker, you know? I mean, there's very few of them, I feel, anymore. So children comes up a lot. Um, and I just say, depending upon their age, obviously, if they're like three or four years old, they're not going to get it. Um, I would almost even challenge anybody that says they'll remember it. Um, but I sat both of my kids down. I set them both down after I decided to get sober and told them that alcohol was ruining my life. I was addicted to it and I couldn't control it anymore and I needed to get help and I'm going to be sober and things will be different. Like I was Mm -hmm. flat out. I just, I needed it. I needed to tell them that. Mm. And um, let's see, Ethan was 12 or 13 at the time and Miles, he was pretty young, but they know, they know they're very smart. They're very sensitive to mom and dad and what they're going through. I mean, my ex is still a drinker and my, my youngest, he goes over to his dad's to visit him. And it's, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a situation and it's sad, you know? 
try it. Uh, yeah, my um, my son's uh, mother drinks, and I know that uh, he finds that really difficult. You know, when you when you're a child, um, it's not even a child actually. Like I, I remember being in therapy with my first wife, and the therapist saying, "If you to my wife, if you don't stop drinking, then this relationship's going to end." Like in marriage, she's like, "Well, I'm not stopping drinking." Um, and even as an adult, I was like shocked. I was like, "What, really?" You know. But for a child who looks up to your mom and your dad, think and think about it. You, as parents, you consistently reaffirm to your children that you will do anything for them. Yet we cannot do this thing. And right. whilst the purpose of me saying that is not to pour shame on the people who find it really difficult it's really difficult for the child to accept that. And it does erode trust. They may be little people, but they're human. They remember and they, 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 they have their own ways of figuring out the rights and wrongs of the world. Do you know what I mean? And, um, you know, when I stopped drinking, I didn't stop being triggered. I didn't stop being angry with my kids. I didn't stop shouting at them, um, being impatient with them not being present with them, which in itself wounds them, you know. But again, I think we fall back to that thing we were saying about as, as being human. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. that, you know, if you can show me a, a human being who is a perfect parent, then I'll, I don't know, I don't know, what, it, it ain't happening, right? Um, so just, just as we close off, just share a little bit more about, about your program. What does it look like? What does it involve? How long is it? Is it online? Is it live? Is it zoom? Is it not like, tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah. Um, so like I said, when, after I speak to somebody and they decide that they want to come on, I'm doing a lot of research kind of if you will, internet stalking them, but not so much like that. Um, they give me their date of birth. So we do astrology. We kind of dig into that. Um, they take a personality assessment. So I'm digging into that. So before I even talk to them, I kind of get a good idea of who they are, uh, where they've come from. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Some of the things that come up in that natal chart that I never ever would have found out through conversations with them. Mm. Um, so extremely vital. Um, so my program is three months. So building the foundations program, that's the main program and it's three months long. Um, and it looks different for everybody. Some people really struggle with, um, the quitting part. Some women really struggle with, um, developing habits so they need more time with that. Um, so there's not, like I said, there's not really a, a blueprint. I have an outline that I could share with everybody of, you know, my my goal for my women. We, we talk on the phone um, once a week. So we have a one-on-one -on -one coaching session every week. And I also, this is kind of unorthodox, but I give them all my, my personal cell phone number. So they, I text with them every day. Mm. sending each other, you know, encouraging words or how was your day and things like that. So I'm in touch with them all day, every day. Um, and I'm challenging them, challenging them to figure out who they are. What are your real goals? You know, other than 
I want to quit drinking or I want to um, be a better person or, you know, generalize like that. Like, what do you, what do you really want? Like what just lights your ass on fire or what do you think is so crazy and unheard of that if you had it, you would just, you would be out the door right now. I'm it's mine. You know, I'm first in line. Mm. This is like black Friday all over again. Mm. So you know, that's just, it's, it's motivating. Um, I absolutely love working with the women that I work with. Like it's, it's the coolest fucking thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't believe that this literally just like fell into my lap. It's not like I, I woke up as a little kid hoping to be a sober coach someday. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like it. But and I, you do, you do yeah. niche as well, right? Is it, is it sober mothers or a sober middle-aged mothers or just so sober middle-aged yeah. women? Middle-aged moms. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. I have a thing. I have a thing for sober middle-aged moms. Not a thing thing, but I think, <laughs> I think, I think they're amazing. So I think it's really good. I mean, obviously everybody needs their own support for different reasons, but I think particularly uh, middle-aged mothers have a pretty tough time of things because, you know, there are a lot of us men who are little boys that that are not really that are not really helping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it makes it you like you don't, if you've got two kids and a husband, you've got three kids, right? So, you know, I'm I'm yeah, I did consider it something yeah. actually helping the men, but um, I don't know, Molly, you're doing a wonderful job. You know, and and just want to just want to say to take what you've learned and what you've experienced and choose to be that beacon of hope and light and to spend your time helping other people to see the truth about alcohol. And the most important thing, figure out the goals and dreams and aspirations that alcohol has locked away from you i think that's amazing you know and so so well done and if you ever need any help or support with anything uh, and i can help you anything in any way just give give us a shout you know you've got my email i can give you my number and uh yeah there's always going to be a spot that comes up that you're like "Mm, i'm not quite sure on that one always there for you if you need any help mate okay that would be amazing thank you lee no worries okay so where can people get hold of you if they um if they want to join your program, um, I'll throw, I'll send you my website. You can mm-hmm. post it in the notes if you want. It's as you are life coaching.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you on social media at all? Yeah, but I'm not a huge social media person. So same. Here. I mean, I've got an Instagram account. Um, you can find my link tree. It's just my first name, Molly, mm. Molly dash my link tree and that'll have Instagram and I've got a, a Facebook group, but not a huge social media person. Like I don't even listen to the news. I think it's so toxic. I don't, so I don't I listen just try to, to stay news. away from it. Yeah. I don't listen to the news and um, yeah, I'm, I'm done with social media. I think I don't, it's, it's, it's like I'm speaking to, I, I hate not speaking to people. It's like, I'm speaking to nobody. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Is anybody so, out there? Is anyone there? Does anyone want to talk to me? Does anyone want to ask me a question? It's like, <laughs> uh, no, not for me. All right, Molly, I will put your uh, your 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 links on the, the show notes. And best of luck, uh, folks. 
if you want to get involved in this foundation program and get stuck into this, uh, what I'm experiencing is beautiful feminine energy, get some nutrients and some love and crack of the whip every now and then as well and check out Molly. Okay. All right. Until next time, Molly. Thanks for listening to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. Without you, the listener, there is no podcast. So thank you for stepping up today. Please go to your podcast player, rate and review the show. It will help people get to know about it a little bit more and we can save some more lives. I just want to say a special thanks to our producer, Stan, who is currently in the Ukraine. If you would like to help and support Stan and his family, email us at thestridemethod at gmail.com and we'll find a way to do that. Special thanks to all of our guests who make this show so magical and our Strive family for uniting in our common goal to be people who don't drink alcohol and live self-led lives. And if you want to join us, email us at thestridemethod at gmail.com. And lastly, if you enjoyed this show, tell somebody about it. You could seriously change somebody's life. Strive on, everybody.